Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome to the 89th episode of the Pulling Tarp Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Bobby Kuhn. This week we have Greg Mraz, Research Manager for the Pac-12 Networks and former MILB Director of Media Relations and Broadcasting for the Idaho Falls Shuckers, Helena Brewers, San Rafael Pacifics, and the Clinton Lumber Kings. Make sure to go back and listen through the catalog, everybody. There's 88 other great episodes back in the catalog. Something for everyone back there. You name it, uh, you name the position, we've interviewed somebody with that. If you want a shout-out, super easy. Drop a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. That helps drive us up the charts and turns more people into members of the TARP crew. For those of you that don't have an iPhone or don't listen on Apple Podcasts, that's the little purple icon on your phone there. Um, in case you missed it, I've, you should know by now, but I finally decided to make a designated Twitter account for the podcast. So go ahead and follow that at Pulling Tarp Pod. That's where you can find all up-to-date news about the Pulling Tarp Podcast and reach out about coming on as a guest. That's where businesses can reach out as well to become sponsors. Speaking of the Pulling Tart Podcast Twitter account, we have now gotten to over 200 followers, so we have merchandise now. I, I told you I'd keep my promise. You can now get Pulling Tart Podcast stickers, coffee mugs, and wall art. You can find that on the Pulling Tart Podcast Twitter account or on tpublic.com. That is T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at It's R.A. Kuhn. That's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N. With that being said, let's chat with our friend Greg Mraz. Greg, welcome on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. Uh, joining us all the way from the West Coast, uh, we'll get into your minor league baseball uh, past here soon. But can you tell the listeners a little bit exactly what you're up to now? Bobby, it's great to be on, my friend. Uh, always a pleasure to talk with you. I know it's been a couple of years, mm-hmm. uh, at least since we were both in the Midwest League. So. I am currently the research manager for Pac-12 Network. Okay. So the long and short of that is is that I am the brain center for Pac-12 information. For football, men's basketball, women's basketball, I'm the person you come to when you need to know something about something. Uh, When's the last time uh, a player scored 20-plus points in seven straight games? Uh, When's the last time that a quarterback for a completion percentage of over 85% in a game, minimum 30 attempts. I'm the guy you come to for that. Okay. So it's a lot of the same PR that we did in minor league baseball in regards to creating game notes and stat packs and all of that. But right. through the help of some statistical resources, I basically answer every question that gets thrown at me from our game broadcast crews to our studio crews, social media team, our uh, post-production department, which makes a lot of long-form features for use Mm -hmm. on shows and broadcasts and also social content as well, and from our communications departments, both on the network side and the conference side. Okay. I mean, hey, if Stump the Schwab was still on, you'd be uh, giving them a run for your money, right? To an extent. uh, I like to tell people that 
my end game at this point at Pac-12 Network has become the bear of the Pac-12, Chris Felica on College Game Day. That's uh, that's my end goal to uh, to have that for uh, this position. So okay. uh, it, it's been a fun transition out of baseball. Uh, it was one that was a little bit unexpected, but I'll, I got to tell you, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I got promoted to department head at the Ooh. beginning of August, so that's been a lot more responsibility. Yeah. But just learning to learning to enjoy it uh, at every stretch of the turn. Man, that's that's awesome. Uh, so, and you can I can I can choose to edit this. You know, what do you plan on? sticking with that or do you want to get back into minor league baseball what or don't you know yet to bd i think that the market of minor league baseball you know coming from one person speaking to another that has transitioned out of the game i I think it's honestly and i hate that this is my answer to this but it's the truth it's all financially dependent sure um covid has done a number on the minor league baseball industry it has basically made the jobs that we had you on the PR side me on the broadcast side um fewer and far between and I also like to say at this point that there is a race to the bottom in regards to labor in minor league baseball yep and and what I tell people and I've explained that to people before the race to the bottom is who can work for the least amount of money and that's the sad part about minor league baseball is who can work for the least amount of money? And those are the people that are getting the jobs. It's the people that are coming straight out of college. Now, when I was 22 years old and starting straight out of college, I, believe me, taking a $600 a month glorified internship, I would be, sign me up. Yeah, right. In the sports industry, let's let's do it. Let's go. Yeah. And I knew that, you know, I could ask my parents for support, but a lot of people don't have that. Right. And then at a certain point, you're like, okay, you have to make some money and I'm grateful at this point to where I'm making a pretty solid wage and still working in the sports media industry. Mm-hmm. So it would very much be financially dependent. And there are very few jobs salary wise that would paint me more than what I make now. And mm-hmm. and that's the long and the short of it. Um, quality of life is better. You know, there are so many things that I love about minor league baseball but the drawbacks at this point in my life, I'm 29 years old. I'm going to be 30 in July of next year. So, you know, at 30 years old, I don't want to be making less money than I am now. Yeah, I, I agree with you 1,000%. Um, just it, it, people, people say like, oh, you work for XYZ team. You know, that must be really awesome. You're right. It is. But I I can't afford to pay my bills, and you can only do that for so long, right? So I totally totally understand. That's I mean that's why we're both out. Really, um, it's 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 a shame that um, the industry is the way that it is in that regard. Um, would I have loved to stay in minor league baseball? Yeah, but. I mean, in order to have a family and in order to pay my bills, um, it was better for me to get out at that point. Um, I will still support minor league baseball um, for as long as I can and as much as I can, but um, I don't know if it's in the cards for, for me to go back either. So I understand. I'll say this. This past year was, excluding 2020, the first year that... I was not working in baseball, and I'm not counting 2020 as a part of this. Sure. I went to more Major League Baseball games this past year than I can remember combined in my entire time working in professional baseball. Yeah. Yep. That. I mean, yeah, you get you definitely get way more free time, more time to spend with your family, um, that kind of stuff as well. So, um even even though we both have a soft spot for the industry, um, it sounds like it was in our best interest for both of us to to get out when we could. So, um, we we met Greg when uh, you worked for the Clinton Lumber Kings, and you came to Beloit, Wisconsin. Um, neither of those two places are 
are places that that you strive to go to, right? Um, so I've been to Clinton a couple times, and I and I asked our friend Tyler Oman this question: uh, Do you ever get used to the smell of this of the town of Clinton? I did. Uh, I think that it is a smell that you only get really heavily on the south side of town when the wind is blowing from the south. Okay. It really wasn't that bad for a majority of the time, but if you went down to the south end of the city, down by the casino and a couple of the the chain restaurants, that's when it would get bad. And, And people, actually, there's a misconception about the smell. Okay. Most people think that the smell comes from the Purina dog food factory, and part of it does. Okay. But most of the smell actually comes from the ADM factory, Archer Daniel Midland, who is one of the, if not the largest, and I know I work in research, I should know this, one of the largest corn processing companies in terms of processing corn products, ethanol, etc. in the United States. And they've got five different divisions of their company that operate out in Clinton. That's the biggest factories that you see if you're going down uh, the main road toward the south end of town. So that is actually what makes up the majority of that smell. But I got used to it like anything. You know, you get used to your environment. It was never something that bothered me. I just took it as being a part of the territory. Yeah, yeah. How how was it like living living in the city of Clinton as a whole? I'll say that it was unique from the perspective of somebody that grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, top 10 media market, mm-hmm. going to college in Chicago, Illinois, third largest media market, mm-hmm. doing a summer internship for two years, in the greater Boston area, and then moving to a town of 25,000 people. Now, it was unique because of the fact that I could still get back to Chicago in two and a half hours. True. But it was the smallest place I've ever lived in my life, Mm -hmm. and more than likely will be the smallest place that I've ever lived in my life. Right. Clinton was very unique in that it was the first small town that I ever lived in, but I'm grateful for my time there because it gave me a perspective on how small towns operate compared to big cities. Sure. The people there really care about the Lumber Kings. The diehard fans in particular care more about that team than most people in big markets care about their own Major League Baseball team. The thing about it, though, is, is that being a big city kid, it's not somewhere where I could say look, I'm not going to be willing to be here for the rest of my life. Right. I'm, you know, I like being able to get on a subway train and head downtown. Um, I like skyscrapers. I'm used to big cities. That's me. Um, you know, the end game was never to live in a small town and it was nothing against Clinton as that town personally, but you know, I grew up in an urban environment Mm -hmm. and I want to live in an urban environment. So, yeah. you know, another another reason, kind of going back to how we started the conversation about getting out of minor league baseball is that I wanted to work in, you know, a bigger market. I wanted to live in a big city. Sure. You know, after living in, you know, Helena, Montana and Idaho Falls, Idaho, as much as I love those two places, I needed to I needed to live somewhere bigger. Yeah. Well, Beloit, Beloit, I don't think was was any bigger than Clinton, if I had to guess. Um but it's I'm, definitely it's at least ten thousand bigger. I think Beloit, the last time I looked, and this was probably a couple of years ago, was probably around thirty five thousand. Beloit gets roped in with the Rockford metro area, mm-hmm. so I'd say the town of Beloit proper is probably around thirty five to forty. Yeah, that's not about right. I'd say if you included it with the Rockford metro area, the Rockford metro area is probably in a range of three hundred to four hundred thousand. Yeah, um, and and we were talking about yeah, like none of neither of those two places are places that you strive to be, right? Like they were. I mean, even the stadiums, like both super old stadiums, um, not much amenities whatsoever. Um, but 
as you know, um, Beloit got a new stadium, and they announced their new team name today. They are no longer the Beloit Snappers, except for on Sunday home games. They will now be the Beloit Sky Carp. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to to read about it um, or to to look at the logos, um, but initially, what what are your first thoughts on the Beloit Sky Carp? Do you even do you even know what Sky Carp is? I mean, it's not a very well known name, I guess. I assume based on the logos that it is a pseudonym or not a pseudonym. That's the wrong word. It's a synonym for a goose. It looks like a goose. It's a can, it's so, a Canadian goose that stays in its hometown and does not travel for the winter. So it is a non-migratory goose. Yes. Interesting. So the only thing that I have in regards to that name, I think it's a cool name. I think the logos are cool. Yeah. Uh, I personally wish that they had stuck with the snappers yeah. because of Turtle Creek and because of the geographic meaning to um that area yeah so i guess the question and maybe you've done the research i certainly have not nor have i had the time to is there uh sky carp that are native to the beloit area there so there there's a actually a story um that was pretty well done by um a guest of the podcast here um paul caputo he writes for sportslogos.net and he actually wrote a pretty in-depth piece about it. And yeah, there there are Canadian geese in Beloit, Wisconsin. But um, and there are Canadian geese that you see in the winter time there too. So it's got a scarf because it's preparing for the winter, and the goose does at least. And then in one logo, it has a wrench in its mouth. And that is because of the ironworks industry that made Beloit so popular back in the day, I guess. And then um, the the goose in one logo also has um, like aviator goggles, and that is to um, it's because I guess there was a woman from Beloit that was the second woman to ever fly a solo aircraft. Um, and I guess that's kind of saying like, there are strong women in, in Beloit as well. Um, and you know, the lady that owns ABC supply, she helped fund all the money and stuff like that. So I guess it was in regards to that as, as well. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I kind of wish if, if I had to pick from the new ones, I wish it would have been the supper clubbers just because that's a true Wisconsin, thing um but after i did the research and, and read the article and stuff like that it's okay uh the logos look cool the merchandise looks really cool um so i guess we'll just have to kind of wait and see but um it's it's interesting i'll say that much i will say that i am not the biggest fan of hyphenated team names i feel like in the era of brandios taking over minor league baseball that you get a lot of those yeah and the fact that skycarp is not hyphenated is a positive in my view Mm -hmm. but then again i think it's changed for the sake of change stake and the snappers had a really good logo scheme and theme but i guess they wanted to break in a new era given new ownership new ballpark and trying to attract a uh, a larger fan base. Yeah. Yeah, but like I said, they're still going to have Snapper Sundays on uh, Sunday home games. So, yeah, And you'll still be able to buy Snapper's merchandise and all that kind of stuff as well. So um, it's, kind of, it's kind of the best the best of both worlds, I, I suppose. Um, you and I, you, you working in Clinton and Idaho, Idaho Falls, excuse me, and Helena, um, and me working in Beloit, Williamsport, and Delmarva, uh, we've worked in some pretty small front offices, and that doesn't mean, like, that means, like, you as the broadcaster, you're not only, you're not just doing media relations and broadcasting, we, we, we know that, right? So, what has been the most 
quote unquote other duties as a sign moment in your minor league baseball career? So there's a lot of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, the one that comes to mind initially is after fireworks nights, picking up firework debris off of the field. Yeah. But I actually have a story that I want to tell real quickly sure. because I think that this is kind of the epitome of the other duties as a sign <laughs> uh, deal. All right. So in Idaho Falls, we had a video board, scoreboard, like multi-complex. Oh, actually... Yeah, the video board and the scoreboard were, like, next to each other beyond the left field wall. Okay. And the signs that were up there, so there were signs that were actually around that. And we put the signs up ourselves. Now, in order to get up there, we had to rent a cherry picker. Yep. And actually go up there. So me and my GM, we had to take down using a double-sided uh like extension ladder so it's these really cool extension ladders to where they could be like a a really long leaning ladder or it could be a uh a triangle shaped ladder as well i know i'm stumbling on the name for this at this point so we brought one of them out there in order to this is beyond the left field wall and our our office is at you know behind home plate so we actually went on to city block and and drove around because our our stadium is uh, surrounded by uh, city streets. Okay. And I remember, you know, putting all of the, uh, you know, taking the washers out, making sure that I, like, held on to them as they fell out to make sure they didn't drop the, you know, 75 or so feet below, uh, may have been higher than that, uh, down the field in order to replace all these signs. Mm-hmm. And that was just one of those things where it's like, why am I doing this right now? I mean, this <laughs> is, you know, I... I I got roped into doing it, but I, I realized at that point, being year five in minor league baseball, that like this is definitely other duties as a sign. Now, yeah. this is why I wanted to tell this story. And I mentioned the ladder for one reason and one reason in particular. So we, we get everything done, we pack everything up, so I thought. And it's about one twenty in the morning. I had been up just, you know, BSing with my roommate who also worked in the front office. And I'm going to bed, and it's like, I can't fall asleep. And it's like one twenty in the morning, and I realize, oh, no. I never put the other ladder away. <laughs> so I got in the car. I drove to the ballpark at one thirty in the morning. And sure enough, the ladder is still there, still standing up. <laughs> got the ladder, put it in the back of my car, drove back to my apartment, went to sleep, got in, put the ladder back in storage before anybody ever figured out that it was, uh, that it was left out there. Um, so, uh, I, I did funny. tell some people about that. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I, I remember, you know, being told that these ladders were, you know, just purchased. And I was like, okay, is anybody going to steal a ladder sitting outside? Right. And, th- and thankfully nobody did. So, uh, that's, <laughs> That's my best other duties as a sign story. Okay. That's awesome. Um, And you being the broadcaster, you also had to multitask while you're doing your broadcasting um, and update some social media and that kind of stuff. Um, So I I just want to ask, what's the weirdest comment or message you've received while running a team's social media accounts? So I'm actually going to take this question in a different direction because I haven't received any weird messages, but I did have a very weird story idea from a local news station come my direction. So when I was working in Helena in 2018, I just decided, you know, for the heck of it, I'm going to have these theme gift nights. So whenever I did, you know, score updates or inning updates, I would try and pull a gift from the same theme. So okay. one night it was like Iron Man, one night it was like penguins and all that. And it wasn't anything that I thought was going to be like story worthy, but it was something that I figured, hey, you know what? This is going to be kind of fun and people are just going to see a bunch of different gifts. And this was, this was really, I think 2018 was really the start of when 
maybe if it was a couple years earlier when gifts became like the big thing to use on social media. I actually think it was probably about two years earlier. And the local sports reporter for one of the stations in Helena, and he must have really been bored because he came out to do a story on our theme gift nights on Twitter. <laughs> and I'm like, there really isn't much of a story here. I pick a theme. I just like to do it. <laughs> and then I just do it. So that that was pretty, uh, that, that wasn't, uh, I would say that that was probably the weirdest thing that I had happen. When I was yeah. in Helena and Idaho Falls, I also used to do these things. I called um, social uh, social countdowns, which was just uh, a, a minute long selfie video of me doing s- something. In Helena, it was pretty basic. It was just me sitting in front of my computer doing like a preview of the game. In yeah. Idaho Falls, I took it to the next level and I just started like doing little bits out of it. Like I'd come out of like different sides of the screen, or I'd spin around in my chair, or <laughs> I had a really long uh, headset mic. So I could like enter the booth from like outside the room and, and do like really fun and goofy stuff. So I got some comments on that, but nothing to where I was like, okay, this person on social media is really being weird. But I would definitely say that the theme gift night story was probably uh, the weirdest thing that that I ever got. Other than the uh, the constant people on facebook is the game still on today oh yeah that that though that'll haunt you forever i mean you'll you'll probably still have nightmares about about those messages still you know popping up in your inbox that that's super funny it must have been a really slow uh news day for that for that newscaster well the thing that bothered me about it honestly bobby and I take a lot of pride in the team. Yeah. You, know, you travel as a broadcaster, you travel with them. You're on the buses with them. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of really great stories on our team. Like we had one guy that had been recruited to play safety in Oklahoma and learned English through Leapster Pat. Uh-huh. We had another guy whose dad was roommates with Tim Brown in Notre Dame and whose uncle played football at USC, Mark Carrier, who played in the NFL. You know, we, we've got oh, yeah. all these great stories on different individual players. You want to do a story on gifts? He did no research. I just, yeah. I just, I was like, I'm providing you all of this information on these players, and you want to do a story on some random social media gag that I'm doing? Like, huh. don't get me wrong, I don't mind the attention, right? But it, it's not what you should be covering the team for. Right, man, that that is actually like really funny. Um, so we talked about you living in like you're you're from like a big city, you know, type area, um, but you lived in Montana, Idaho, Iowa. Um, so out of the out of like all the places you've lived, where has been your favorite? Easily, Helena, Montana. Okay. Montana is one of the prettiest places on earth. Um, it is surrounded by mountains everywhere you go. It doesn't matter what town in Montana you go to, whether you go into Missoula and the Clark Fork Valley, uh, whether you're in Helena and you see all of the mountains around you there. Billings has got rock formation mountains. Great Falls is a little bit more plainsy, but it's got lots of mountains as well. Uh, Bozeman, you, you got Yellowstone and Big Sky to the south. Montana is just the prettiest place on earth, and I try and make it a mission to get back there every year. Okay. Um, I haven't gotten back this year, right? And I don't think I'll be able to make it up to Helena uh, at any point this year. But I love Montana more than life itself. It's it's one of the prettiest places on earth, and I'm grateful for the time that I did get to spend there. Okay, that's a good that's a good sell. I'm gonna tr- have to try and make it there one of these days for sure. You should best craft beer. Ooh, anywhere. okay. That's... Montana, the, the craft beer in Montana is as good as you'll find anywhere. And the reason why it's it's elite, in my opinion, is that there are so many breweries that do not distribute outside of the state. Oh, okay. okay. So when Helena, when I lived there. We had five different breweries. Only one of them distributed outside of the city. Wow. And the rest of them didn't even distribute outside of the state. 
Okay. Wow. That's a good that's a good sell, Greg. Alright. Alright. I'll have to make a make it a mission to get there for sure. Make sure when, make sure before you go you hit me up. Tell me what city you're going right. to and I'll tell you what brewery you gotta go to. Okay. Perfect. Alright. Thank you for that. Um so you've clearly you've traveled all over the place because you travel with the teams too. So um in all of your travels, what has been the best concessions item that you've tried? I'm not saying this to pander to you, Bobby, <laughs> but it's got to be the Snappy Burger. Ooh, yes. Because the way that you can somehow be able to put a bratwurst on a cheeseburger and then add cheese curds to it, yeah. I mean, it's... And I'll say this. The reason why I say the Snappy Burger is for two reasons. Number one... It was the most unique item I had. But number two, okay. there really weren't a lot of places that I went where I didn't get just like a generic like burger or mm-hmm. sandwich or anything. There, there wasn't anything that I thought was that big of a specialty item. Now, I will say this. In Idaho Falls, I fell in love in 2018 when I was with Helena. I fell in love with their fries the seasoning the way that they did their fries it was the best thing i'd ever had in terms of french fries and then obviously getting to work there the next year i just i tried to have them as much as possible sure we started we started setting up this specialty taco stand there though too that was just out of this world and so the the tacos Everything that we had in Idaho Falls was was phenomenal. So okay. I probably, uh, uh, in terms of the road items, I s- still have to go Snappy Burger. If I'm thinking back to the Midwest League, I can't really remember going anywhere and getting anything that wasn't just your generic burger or pretzel or chicken tenders. Okay. All right. Yeah, the Snappy Burger is legit, and I and I ate that as much as I possibly could. Um, yeah, just the, the brat cut vertically laid on top of the cheeseburger and then you can put some cheese curds on it. Oh man, that is making, that's making me super hungry. I, I, I hope that they keep that at the new stadium. That was the question I was going to ask you with the team name changing. Are they going to keep the snappy burger? If you say that they're going to be the snappers on Sunday, are they going to just bring it out for Sundays? Mm. That's I, a, I think it would be a shame if they got rid of the Snappy Burger. I'll have to ask um, the new owner, um, who I had on this podcast before. Like I had him on the podcast probably a year and a half ago, maybe. Um, but so obviously before they announced the new team name. Um, so I'll I'll have to ask him. I'll have to reach out and see if they're going to continue to do the Snappy Burger. So you've you've broadcasted a ton of games, and out of all the games you've broadcasted, it doesn't necessarily have to be baseball, but what has been your most memorable call? Most memorable call. So are we talking about in terms of a full game, or are we talking about in terms of an individual moment? I would say an individual moment. All right. So individual moment, I would probably have to go and this is a tough one because i i was thinking about this and i was thinking about a couple of particular moments that i remember that were really really special a couple from the 2016 season but i have to go with with the third game of the pioneer league first round playoff series against billings in 2019 The reason why I say that is that we went to Billings on a Sunday. Now, let me ask, are you, are you, are you okay for a long story for this part of the segment? Sure. Are you, are you good with me waxing poetic? Yeah, absolutely. So let me wax poetic here for a little moment. In the Pioneer League playoffs, each series is best of three consecutive days so there are no off days except for in between series okay we 
started off because we won our division in the first half. The way that it goes is is that there's a north and a south. Mm-hmm. North is basically one series, then you go to the finals. South, one series, then you go to the finals. So unlike the Midwest League, there's only one round of playoffs before the finals. Okay. We got on a bus at 7 in the morning. We drive six hours to Billings, Montana. Get to the ballpark. Show and go, basically. I go get a Starbucks from across the street. Play a 5 p.m. game. Okay. We've got a torrential storm scheduled for 7.30 that night for a 5 o'clock game. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, God, we don't have a hotel. Nobody <laughs> brought any stuff because we are supposed to go back overnight. Right. We won the game 2 nothing in 2 hours and 10 minutes. And like the radar said, <laughs> it started pouring 20 minutes later. I packed my stuff up got on the bus, and we drove home six hours in a rainstorm. Played a game the next night. We ended up losing. We had the lead going into the sixth inning, and we lost. We gave up two runs in the top of the sixth inning. We ended up losing, I think, by one or two runs. So then we get to the all-decisive game three. And this is where I want to explain why the moment that I'm telling you about was so dramatic. Okay. There is a gigantic cell coming in. And we're like, oh no. Like, the finals are supposed to start on Thursday. Mm-hmm. We can only delay them one day. And it's a Tuesday. So this game three is on a Tuesday. Okay. The other team, Ogden, the Raptors in Utah, yeah. had already finished up their series. So they're done. We move the game up an hour ahead of time. So we go from a 7.15 start to a 6 o'clock start. Mm, We play an hour. We play an inning and a half, I should say. Rain, torrential pour. Tarp on the field didn't matter. Track was too wet afterward. Game, Game bang for the night. Yeah. More rain comes. We, we do everything in our power to try and get the field ready to play on that Wednesday. Can't do it. Mm. Officials, umpires say it's not playable. So then it comes down to this. And, and so this is where it gets really interesting. There's a college about a half hour away from Idaho Falls. BYU-Idaho. Yeah. It's move-in week. All <laughs> of the hotels... In Idaho Falls are booked up for the move-in week that is happening on that Wednesday night. Mm -hmm. Or actually, it was happening on that Tuesday night and the Wednesday night. The Billings Mustangs had to go to a Native American reservation casino 45 minutes south of town to stay. Wow. The umpires made a determination that we would come back to the field at noon on that Thursday, and which would mean no off day before the, the series starts, mm-hmm. and that we would have to determine whether or not the game gets played. Uh, and if the game didn't get played, the regular season winner in terms of head-to-head would move on to the championship series. Now, that's no way to really to win no now it would have been us it would have been the the chuckers over the mustangs okay but that's it's no way to win it yeah here's the other part of the here's the other part of the equation the series would have started in billings because Ogden had the best record in the league okay if billings had won if it had started in idaho falls not a big deal it's three hours from ogden to idaho falls okay it's eight hours From Ogden to Billings. Yeah. Hmm. So they would have basically had to get on their bus and get going right away if Billington won. Right. As it turns out, everything, the umpires give us the go-ahead, and we resume the game at 1 o'clock Thursday afternoon with about 500 people in the stands. Wow. Our starting shortstop hadn't hit a home run since the second week of July. High game, seventh inning, 
hanging breaking ball, rocket. Nice. Rocket. Three-run homer, puts us in the lead, and I was I was absolutely mental. Mm-hmm. I have never been as excited on a home run call ever. And it was it, and the reason why I say that that's the most memorable moment is because and granted we ended up winning the championship. But for me, the culmination of what it took to get that game in, yeah, to actually play it, the fact that this nine-inning winner-take-all game technically lasted almost 48 hours mm-hmm. was something that I couldn't imagine. I, I just I couldn't imagine how how much effort it took in, in order to do this. Yeah. Wow, that that is incredible. Uh, is that the same year that you guys won the championship? Yep, that was the only year that I was there. That's okay. when we won the championship. So what was it like going the yard going all in, man, and winning the Pioneer League championship that year? That was the last year that they were that they were affiliated too. So we didn't know at the time that that was going to be the last year of Idaho Falls Chuckers affiliated baseball. Okay. Nobody did. Right. And the idea of reducing minor league baseball from 160 teams to 140 teams, or 162 to 140, I can't remember the exact numbers, mm-hmm. that idea, it was 162 to 140. Yeah. That idea, or 120, my, my apologies, um, shortchanging some teams that, that got uh, eliminated, that idea didn't percolate. So it wasn't as if that team was going to, you know, it wasn't like, okay, this is the last chance to win an affiliated Pioneer League championship. Although, because the Pioneer League now is completely independent, Mm -hmm. that was the last affiliated Pioneer League championship. And it was so much fun. And the reason why it was a very unique year is that we started off, 9-0. Nine and zero. Oh. We won our first nine games, and we won fourteen of our first fifteen. Then we hit the tank and barely hung on to win the first half division title. Wow! And we actually, like, our overall record compared to the Ogden Raptors was like we were basically a five hundred team, and they were a good. 25 games over 500 for the entire season. Wow. Okay. For us to, and the thing about it that was just awesome is that at least in the championship series, since we had the worst record, we hosted the first game. Mm -hmm. The road team won every game in that series. Okay. And basically like hardly any teams went to Ogden that year of one. Yeah. Not only in the four games, in the regular season that we were there, did we win two of the four, and we were the only team that year that earned a split. Like, if I remember correctly, and I'm sure that Ogden Raptor fans, and there are a lot of them that probably listen to your podcast because they are very loyal, diehard minor league baseball fans. I believe that year we're the only team to have earned a split in a four-game series. Mm-hmm. I don't think there is a team that came to Ogden actually – Grand Junction, I think, won one three-game series there. Okay. I believe we're the only team that earned a split in a four-game series at Ogden. Hmm. And then we we go down one nothing to them, and we go to their place, and we win each of the last two. And, and I'll say this. The thing that was absolutely, like, that Sunday game, the final game of the season, over, like, you know, it's winner-take-all, we were up Six nothing after the third inning. But by the time the fifth inning was over, we were up seven to six. Wow. Then we were up ten to seven. And then we were up ten to eight. I'm not remembering this completely correctly, to be quite frank, but that we had a big lead, almost blew it, got a few more runs, they got within a run. And then we found a way to, to shut the door. It was a one-run game. Now I'm remembering it correctly. It was a one-run game going to the top of the eighth inning. 
Our center fielder hit a moonshot home run to put us a fight to big confidence boost. And then we brought in our newly promoted closer from the Appalachian League, Appalachian League, sorry, mm-hmm. who is the son of Mariners GM Jerry DePoto, Jonah DePoto. Okay. And just absolute filth, shut the door, and the team won the title. It yes. was it was an absolute blast. Uh, and, and we got to stay that Sunday night in Ogden and, and went out with all the players. And it was the thing that was sad, though, about it is that everybody booked their flights out of Salt Lake City, which is not that far from Ogden, the next morning. And, and I'm going back to Idaho Falls. And it's like, well, all, all these players that were just here celebrating a championship, they're all gone and their season's over. Yeah. And it was just like it was so it was so gratifying watching them achieve the success that they did, but it just felt like it was over that quickly. Yeah. That, yeah, that, that is tough. Like when, especially when the season ends on the road, for sure. Like, yeah, guys fly out the next day and, and yeah, that's, that's tough, but What's the best story that you can tell from traveling with the team over your career? The best story of traveling with the team in terms, all right. I know there's a lot that you can't tell, but. <laughs> but Oh, there's a ton that I can't tell. Yeah. Um, without, without question. So one story that I will tell is how I found out about Utah's drinking laws. Mm. So, and, and this is a story, this is a story of uh, not anything that happened with players, but something that happened with me. Okay. So when I was in the Helena, we were taking our lone trip of the year to Grand Junction. Grand Junction, Colorado from Helena, Montana is 12 hours. Wow. So we stopped in Pocatello, Idaho for lunch. That's five hours, about an hour south of Idaho Falls, actually. And then for dinner, we stopped in Springville, Utah. And in Springville, Utah, there's a brewery there. And we had another four-ish hours to go. And I just, I was like, I'd love to have a beer. It kind of helped me sleep a little bit. Mm -hmm. And we'd already gotten dinner. And I go into this brewery, and I ask, you know, like, yeah, this beer looks good. I have this pale ale. And then he's like, what would you like to eat? I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'm not hungry. She's like, no, you have to eat. I'm like, what do you mean I have to eat? It's like, state law. You cannot order beer without ordering food. Oh. I'm like, wait, really? Like, I just want a beer. Like, the, the cheapest thing is like a basket of fries for five bucks. You're yeah. charging four bucks for a beer. Yeah. So uh. I... I just, I got the fries, I ate like two of them. I had already eaten dinner. I gave them to the guy next to me. I'm like, this is thanks to my $9 beer. Yeah. And went back to the bus, you know, enjoyed the beer and, and went back to the bus and, uh, and, and continued on to, uh, to Grand Junction. Okay. There's some, the, I, I would say the other story that I remember from our bus travels was, this was a really funny one. So I, I, I think I can tell this story. Yeah, I think I can tell this story. All right. So I had been, prior to my time working in minor league baseball, I had been dating a girl that I had met in Boston during my internships. Okay. And we had, at that time, had broken up uh, at that point. And you know, she was a nice person, but obviously, you know, it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. So, I remember we were on a bus back from Burlington. As it turned out, one of our players' girlfriends was a nurse at the same hospital that my ex-girlfriend was at. Mm. (laughs) I'm sitting there, I'm I'm writing the game recap, coming back from from Burlington to Clinton, and all of a sudden, my phone buzzes, it's one of the players'. 
It's a picture of my ex-girlfriend. Then another player. Another picture of her. Then another player. <laughs> another picture of her. I got I got six different pictures of her from six different players. And that's what I found out about the connection. I had not known that until then. <laughs> but somehow, somehow it had come up in conversation that he had met her. She knew that I was working for the team, and that's how, like, through Facebook stalking or however yep. that, that that happened. So uh, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's always an interesting thing when you see players, people that, that, uh, that don't know somebody you used to date sending you pictures of that person. Yeah, that's super weird. <laughs> but it's also a very small world, so... That's wow. That's kind of crazy. Um, so I wanted to bring up. You worked with um, a mutual friend of ours and a former Pulling Tart podcast guest, Tyler Omen. So what was it like working with him? Tyler was one of the most positive people that I was ever around, and he loves baseball. Yeah, as the traditionalist of St. Louis Cardinal baseball fan of the core. Tyler loves baseball more than life itself. Uh, he always says it's a great day for baseball, everybody, even when it would be like five degrees out. And it'd be like, Tyler, it's not a great day for baseball. And he'd be like, it's always a great day for baseball, Wizzy, uh, which is what he called me, <laughs> yeah. uh, a, a name that I got in the, in the Lumber King's office. And <laughs> Tyler, his attitude about working around the ballpark is one that everybody should have. I, I don't think that I've met a person as positive in regards to their work environment as Tyler was. And, you know, Tyler, I'm sure he's going to listen to this. He kept that ship running on yeah. days when a lot of people around the facility probably would not have been able to make a game happen. Mm -hmm. You know, it was because of Tyler's effort that a lot of games that could have been rained out or promotions that, might have ended up as a as a disaster he kept everything moving and it's a testament to tyler's number one his love of the game his work ethic and his willingness to do whatever it takes to make sure that the operation keeps functioning smoothly and as director of operations that is your job yeah. so uh tyler is working on the different side of baseball now, working on grounds crew, which is something that he always loved to do when he was in Clinton. Yeah. Uh, I always made fun of him because he loved holding the, uh, the hose to water the field. I <laughs> made up fake business cards for him one, at one point in time, called him Tyler hose holder. Uh, <laughs> but as it turned out, Tyler ended up being the groundskeeper, the de facto groundskeeper in Clinton, uh, his last year there. So, a very diversified baseball professional who I miss working with. It was actually, it was really fun. I got to see Tyler for the first time since the 2018 winter meetings this past May. I was in lacrosse, Wisconsin for a wedding and I went to a twins game on a Sunday and Tyler was going to come up and sit with me, but he ended up getting put on ball duty down the third base line. Wow. So I got to see Tyler for about, two minutes because I went down and, and he gave me a, uh, a discounted parking pass that I could uh, use on the way out of my garage at target field. So, okay. Uh, that's uh, Tyler is a salt of the earth individual and one of the best baseball professionals that you will know. And I sincerely hope that a team in the twin cities, whether that be the Minnesota twins or the St. Paul saints gives him an opportunity to work in their front office full time because they will get somebody that will make their operation that much better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's incredible. What pe people don't realize that when you work in a small front office, you literally do everything. Um, yes, you and, do everything. and, and Tyler is, is, is exactly that right and he's done stuff that i've never even done like i know he was in charge of your guys's merchandise and stuff when when you were there so um yeah that, it's a testament to him um but yeah he's he's grinding it out in minnesota 
right now um, on the tarp or on the grounds crew and the tarp crew actually. So, um, but but yeah, shout out to him and um, can't wait to have him on again for sure. But uh, can I actually say something, yeah, Bobby, in regards to the name of this? of this podcast, at least my experience in the Pioneer League. Mm -hmm. And this may sound ridiculous. Of the eight teams in the Pioneer League, only three of them owned a target. Only three of them. It's crazy, yeah. So the three of them that owned a tarp, Idaho Falls owned a tarp, Colorado Springs owned a tarp, actually... Now that I think about it, Helena owned a tarp when I was there, and then when the team moved to Colorado Springs, the Colorado Springs team had a tarp. I don't think anybody else in the league, other than the teams that I worked for, actually had tarps. Yeah, that's wild. It, but, hey. So so are you saying that you never pulled tarp in the Pioneer League? No, I definitely pulled tarp. Okay. Because it was the two teams that that you worked for that I worked for. <laughs> but if it if it downpoured in, and I actually I got a quick story about that from our uh, my time in in Idaho Falls when we went to Great Falls, we got rained out two days in a row an hour before first pitch because of a fifteen minute sell. Mm-hmm. No tarp, infield puddles, no chance to play. Man. No chance. Wow. So, and, and and we, our next trip there, we got rained out twice more. So our Goodness. last trip there in the first half of the year, we played five games there in three days. We Yikes. played doubleheader, single game, doubleheader, single game, single game. Wow. So do you have any crazy tarp pooling stories? None that I can recall off the top of my head. Okay. None, none that I can none that I can point to distinctly and say this was absolutely insane. Okay. But there were there were times when it was really tough to get the tarp off the ground because of the amount of water that was on it. I would say that that championship series or the, the series before the championship series that I was talking about with the, the home run call, we had to dump water and recover the field about six or seven times over the course of that day and a half. Goodness. And that just to a, to a point just got to be no fun. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's exhausting. Just thinking about it actually. Um, Let's see. Okay, so in your baseball travels, you've seen a lot of promotions. So what has been the best promotion that you've seen in all of your travels? The best promotion that I've seen, again, you're digging me back into the memory banks here. Yeah. Gosh. I would probably have to say that the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers salute to cows is probably one of my favorite one. That's cool. One of my favorite ones because yeah. it's just, it's so Wisconsin, you know, the like saluting cows, I think is just awesome. And, and it wasn't until a few years later that, that they became the utter tuggers. Uh, my one year working in independent league baseball we had alternative facts night, which okay. was a lot of fun. Although we didn't go as far as we could have with that promotion. Our uh, giveaway it was the it was the cheapest minor league giveaway that we could give out. It was a Kyrie Irving globe, which was just a map. We just printed out a map of the world. And <laughs> we we uh, we promoted it as a uh, Kyrie Irving globe. So that. That's was cool. a very cheap and fun promotion. It did get picked up by uh, Jeff Perlmund, who has a couple of New York Times bestsellers. So That's that cool. was actually pretty cool. To I actually wrote a real press release for it, and, and that was a lot of fun to put on. That's funny. But in terms of, I feel like there's a lot of teams, at least 
in the leagues that I've worked in that just didn't want to take the risks of like off the wall promotions. So the reason why I don't have a better answer to that is that I just, I don't, there's nothing that sticks out at me that says this is unique. Yeah. Okay. Well, we do have one listener question and, um, let me guess, is it from Tyler Oman? It is actually. Of course um, it is. And he wanted me to ask you about the time that you interviewed a dog during your broadcast. <laughs> so, our PA announcer in Clinton, Brad Seward, has two chihuahuas. And okay. it was a Bark in the Park day, and Brad decided to bring one of the chihuahuas. So, I don't know how the thought percolated, but... Instead of interviewing like a guest, because like when we have promotional days, we'd have to, to interview guests on the air. Yeah. And for some reason, I I just decided to start talking to the dog. So <laughs> that uh, that video appears on Twitter about once or twice a year, uh, usually from Tyler, sometimes from Brad. But I just started you know, interviewing the dog and like trying to do like dog voices as, as answers, uh, <laughs> just holding the dog the whole time and harmless fun. But I'm sure people probably were listening and thinking, what is this guy doing? But, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was my time interviewing a dog. Okay. Okay. I'll have to find that video. I think now that I think about it, I think I've seen it. But it, it's been years since I've seen it, so I'm going to have to ask Tyler to, to resurface it for me so I can sh- share that out there. So um, It's a good time. It's a good time. <laughs> uh, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so we'll close it out here um, shortly here, Greg, but where can the listeners find you on social media? You can find me at Greg D. Mraz on Twitter. M-R-O-Z is my last name. You can find me on Instagram at Wizard of Mraz 22 Don't go to the Facebook. There's nothing there. I never, I never put anything there. Actually, before I go, I do have one story, and I don't know why I thought of this just now, but... This is a, a Ted Torno brilliant idea okay. uh, slash brilliant gesture. So it was my birthday during a road series in Kane County. And I had no idea this was happening. They put up a happy birthday message to me on the video board in Kane County. And Ozzy the Cougar delivered an ice cream cake to me nice. in the booth. That's so, awesome. And, and the reason why I remember that is that my facebook profile picture which i probably have not changed since then is ozzy the cougar delivering me a cake inside the booth that's awesome (laughs) yeah so um but don't go to my facebook because i I hardly post anything there it's it's not worth it and and you're on linkedin too yep i am on linkedin uh professional inquiries uh no no need to wish me happy birthday on linkedin I, i i don't understand don't understand why people do that. No. Uh, makes absolutely no sense to me. But, uh, yeah, that's that's where you can find me. All right. Awesome. And we both know that um, one of the best things about minor league baseball is the variety of walk-up or warm-up songs. Um, so I, I always close out with, with this same question with my guests. What has been the best walk-up or warm-up song you've heard in your baseball career, and whose was it? So, is this minor league, major league? Um, I would say just... team teams that that you've worked for. I would say okay. So, can I give two? Sure. Or do I have to only give one? You can All give right. two. Yes. So I'm gonna go uh, most recent to uh, to like less recent. So. They all involve dances in the press box. Okay. So there was a Latino song by a uh, Dominican DJ named Monkey Black called Entra Con La U. 
It was the walk-up song of Helena Brewer, center fielder Pablo Abreu, and it caught on, and we started dancing to it whenever he would come up. And then it turned from not only being his walk-up song, but it then turned into being the song that we would play after wins. Okay. And the team would look up, and they'd see the whole press box dancing, and they'd be like, what the hell is going on here? Right. And then in Clinton, there were two of them. Uh, Shaky Shaky by Daddy Yankee is one that also got the press box dancing. That was Lumber King's catcher, Arturo Nieto. Uh, and that song is, is a jam. But the other one that I remember was a Dominican rap song called Botando Chispa, which Luis Liberato had. And so he's Dominican. And it, it starts off with this like, so it, it, you know you could tell it's a, a really Dominican rap song. Yeah. So so Liberato changed his walk-up song in August, and Dalton Kelly, who is you know American Californian, he's like, so Libby uh, changed his walk-up song, right? He's like, I'm like, yeah. He's like, can I have his walk-up song now? <laughs> so that's so you've got this guy that speaks no Spanish doing a Dominican rap song as his walk-up song. He only kept it for about, like, three or four games, but uh, the story behind that I still just absolutely love. So, yeah. Uh, Botando Chispa, Shaky Shaky, and Enter Con La U. Uh, no, no American uh, songs in, uh, okay. in there. O- only, uh, only Latino rap songs. Okay, if you had to pick one to close out the podcast with, what would it be? An American song? No, no, no. Just out of those three that you named. Uh, Shaky Shaky. All Absolutely. Right. All uh, right. That that uh, that has positive memories that will uh, that will last a lifetime. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Greg, for coming on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Um, and and yeah, just thank you so much. And uh, it was great reminiscing our times in the Midwest League together and uh, let's stay in touch Bobby really appreciate you having me on and anytime you want to have me on again more than welcome perfect thank you man You've listened to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stoveleg Media. Make sure you check out our page at stoveleg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation.